Father, thank you that we can come to you, that you're a God who wants to be known and to make yourself known, that you have given us the Bible, you've revealed so much to us, and we ask that the Holy Spirit would come to our hearts, that you'd speak to us in fresh and living ways that would impact us, that would lead us to live lives that are based upon who you are. Thank you, Father, for pouring out your Spirit in this place and for speaking to us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I need your help this morning. I need you to evaluate for me whether I am a good dad or not. All right, so I have these two lovely twin daughters. And, and just this past week, we're sitting at the breakfast table, and they asked me for something, and I said, no. No, absolutely not. In fact, there was a time earlier in the week, maybe you can help evaluate mom, uh, mom too, see if she's a good mom or not, but the girls asked to go outside. Is going outside a good thing? She said no, or at least she said not right now. Are we terrible parents? I can think of, of time after time where, where they have asked for something very specific and we have said no, not now, I don't think so. Are we just terrible parents? I want you to go with me to John chapter 16 where Jesus says something to his disciples. John chapter 16 and verse 24. He says this to his disciples. It's, it must have been shocking to them. John chapter 16 and verse 24. He says, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Imagine being his disciples and, and, and hearing this from Jesus, and he says, you haven't asked for anything in my name. Ask, and your joy is going to be full. You know, I began to think about it, and if you think about it, we're, we're told that the disciples ask how to pray. We're told that they, they have an, an admiration for Jesus' prayer life, that they are t- taught about prayer, but we don't find prayers recorded of the disciples in the Gospels, at least very often. I don't know if you can think of any. It's not highlighted that the disciples are praying, maybe because they haven't yet learned what prayer should really be like. They haven't yet come in contact with something that needed to change. So Jesus says, until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Well, it's a good thing that you and I have that covered because most of us end our prayers how? In the name of Jesus, amen. Right? So it's a good thing that we all understand something the disciples didn't understand, don't you think? We have it all covered now because we say that at the end of our prayer. Now, don't get me wrong. I think that it's important and it's helpful to say that at the end of our prayer because it, it reminds us of this important truth. But, but what is the name of Jesus? It's important that we understand because Acts 4 verse 12, Peter's speaking and he says this, nor is there salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's crucial that we understand the name of Jesus, that we know the name of Jesus. Now I have a friend who he has these little cards prepared that have one sentence on them. It's eight words long. He says, I've gotten it down to eight words. And he goes to gas stations and he says to the clerk, do you know Jesus? And if they say no, he hands them that card. And he says, just say the eight words there. And I don't, I wish I remember the eight words. I hope that doesn't keep me out of heaven. But when he says, he says he has saved so many people because they'll say those eight words. They confess the name of Jesus 
and they're saved. Is that the way it works? Is it just, if I know the name of Jesus, if I just say the name of Jesus, if I just confess with my mouth the name Jesus, does that save me? Well, let's keep looking at what the name of Jesus is all about and what eternal life is all about. Jesus said it this way in John 17, verse 3. He said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You see how Jesus describes what eternal life looks like, and he says it has to do with a knowledge about God, a knowledge of Jesus, a knowledge of a person coming to know God for ourselves. Actually, three persons, we'd say, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The name Jesus is from the Hebrew, Joshua. Uh, that's the, that's the, the name Jesus is the Greek uh, version of that, and it means simply Yahweh saves. And names have an important meaning in the Bible. In fact, we're told in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 1, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion with him, 144,000. I want to be a part of that number. How many of you? I want to be a part of those standing before the lamb, having his father's name written on their foreheads. You know, some people come to the, the Revelation chapter 14 and they read about the mark of the beast in Revelation 13 and 14 and, and they read about this being in the hand or in the forehead and they believe that there's a literal mark. But when you read this, is it going to be that we're standing in heaven and we're going to have a name written across our forehead? Yahweh or Jesus written across our forehead. This is talking about something more than that as the verses go on to unpack. And we're just going to look at a few verses following this. Verses 4 and 5 say, These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. They've got a, a fixation, and that's Jesus. And they follow him absolutely anywhere that he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. Then notice what it says, And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. And I believe that, that these people are experiencing eternal life because finally all of the lies about who God is have been erased from their minds. <laughs> they, they are no longer buying into the lies about what God's character is really like. You see, in the end, the most crucial thing for you and I to understand is who God is what his character is. That is what Jesus says eternal life is comprised in. And that is what the Seventh-day Adventist Church has a purpose to share with the world is what is the character of God like? Who is God? We want to have our, his name written in our foreheads. Now notice at the beginning of John chapter 16, we get to 24 and he's saying, you haven't even prayed in my name. But he introduces this by telling them what's going to take place in their future. He says this, they will put you out of the synagogues, Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. This is exactly what happens in Revelation chapter 13 with the mark of the beast when those who are told that they're not able to buy or sell unless they receive the mark of the beast. Here you have a group of people who are killing Christians, followers of Jesus, and they're doing it and they think that what are they doing? What do they think that, that killing Christians does? That they are actually serving God. That they are serving the God whom they are actually persecuting the followers of this God. And then verse 3 says, And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. Eternal life comes down to knowing who God is in character. And if you are 
If you have a firm foundation on knowing who God is, then you will be safe through whatever storms will come on this planet. John 16, 24 makes it clear. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. You know, I'm thankful for the 10 days of prayer. As I was thinking about the 10 days of prayer and I'm thinking about spending extra time in prayer, I can't help but think... We've been doing this for years. The 10 days of prayer started here in Templeton Hills with Operation Global Rain, and that moved around the world through a a viral video that was shared. And and because of that, every year we come back, and for 10 days we're praying and asking for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I wonder, have I really asked in the name of Jesus yet? What would Jesus say to me? Would he say the same thing to me? Until now you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask. Ask. And you will receive that your joy may be full. Now notice how he goes on to describe what this looks like. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about what? The Father. You see what's on his heart. His heart is that we would know about the Father. We would understand who the Father is in character. He's passionate that that his disciples come to know this. And the reason that they haven't been able to pray adequately yet is that they don't yet know who the Father is. There's something blocking their hearts from truly opening up to God. So verse 26 continues, In that day you will ask in my name. When you have have seen plainly who the Father is, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you. You know, sometimes I think, well, I need to pray in the name of Jesus because I can't approach the Father. You know where that leads Christianity. (laughs) Well, I can't pray to the Father, so I'm going to pray to Mary, and I'm going to pray to Paul, and I'm going to pray to Peter, and I'm going to pray to all these saints because they're righteous and I'm not. And I have to convince God to be something else than he actually is, which is good. You see, Jesus didn't want us to have that idea that that the change that needed to happen was in God. The change that needs to happen is in my heart, in our hearts. That is the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer is to change us. And in the process, enable God to work in a bigger way in the great controversy on this planet. He goes on to say, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. Jesus wanted for them to have a rock-solid foundation on this fact that God loves you. And and we, we tend to think, well, yeah, of course I know that. All Christians know that. Do they? Do we really understand this? Do we come to recognize the matchless love of Jesus and that we can approach the Father directly? Is, has this become a reality in my heart? You know, it's beautiful here. I've shared this before that this word for love is the word phileo. Normally when we're talking about the Father's love, God's love, we're talking about agape love, which is self-sacrificing love. But here, as the Holy Spirit inspires John to write, he uses the word phileo, which is like friend love, brotherly love. It's, it's not just a self-sacrificing love, but it's the fact that, that God himself actually likes you. He likes you, and he he says, I see them, and I see the potential in them, and I want to spend eternity with them. They're they're incredible. I've created them for a special purpose. God himself wants you to pray directly to him because he loves you. Coming to know who he is in character changes everything. You know, with my little girls, 
Some of the times when I say no to them, they'll be asking for something at the, at the dinner table, for instance, and it's something healthy that they're asking for. But the way that they ask me, Daddy, I want this now. No, <laughs> I, I usually don't answer quite like that. Don't worry, I'm not, not quite like that as a dad. But do I need for my girls to say, may I please have this? Is that, is that in order for me to be able to love them enough to give them something? No. I want them to have good manners so that their lives can be blessed, so that they can have a character that is polite towards other people, that is respectful to other people. I ask them to approach, to ask for things in a way that uses good manners, not because I'm selfish and just need them to make me feel good. And sometimes we think that God needs to be approached through a certain set of things in order for him to feel good enough about us to do something for us. And Jesus says, that's a lie. That's not the truth. My father loves you for who you are. Pray in my name. Recognize who he is. I love how it says in the book Steps to Christ, prayer is the opening of the heart to God as to a friend. It's like sitting down with a friend for a good chat. Staying to, to just open your heart to him. Then it goes on to say it like this. Not that it is necessary in order to make known to God what it, we are, but in order to enable us to receive him. Where's the change taking place? In us. In my heart. Prayer does not bring God down to us, but brings us up to him. We can pray and pray and pray and pray, but if our goal is to change God, it's not going to happen because he does not change. His character is rock solid and he will always do what is best for us. Changing him is not what prayer is about. It's about changing me and working in the great controversy that we're living in. It's not about bringing God down to me. It's about bringing me up to God. And You know, Jesus said it this way in John chapter 17. John chapter 17, it's interesting. If you look at the word name and how often he uses the word name, he says that I I have revealed to them your name. I have manifested your name to them. I've kept them in your name except for the son of perdition. Except for Judas, who rejected the self-sacrificing character of Jesus and betrayed him. The rest of them, he kept within his name. And he said, I, I want the name, that, your name, to unite them, to, to hold them together, similar to, to his glory. But then he, he wraps it up in verse 26 by saying it this way. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. When we come to know who he is and how much he loves us, it changes us to relational faithfulness. You see, when I realize that he always treats me as more important, that he always does what is for my best, then suddenly I treat the people around me better and better as I open myself up to receive this same love through the power of the Holy Spirit. So where is that revealed most clearly Where is it revealed most clearly God's character? It's on the cross, wasn't it? This is the place where he said, I'm going to manifest your name. I'm going to help the world see. I'm going to let the world see what God is like in heart. And it's at the cross of Christ that we see most clearly the character 
of God revealed, that he loves us more than his own existence, that he'd rather you go on living a happy life throughout eternity than that he exists, that he holds nothing good back from us, including laying down his own life for us, for our sins. That's an incredible reality. Now think about what Jesus does on the cross. As he is being nailed to the cross in Luke 23, 34, then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. If we want to know how to pray according to the character of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we need to look to Jesus on the cross and say, okay, how did Jesus pray as he was there being abused, being mistreated, his rights taken away, totally maligned, as he's there on the cross, what is his prayer? Father, forgive them. And not just Father, forgive them, but They don't know what they're doing. Looking out for the very best, saying they're deceived. There's something going on in them. Father, look with the very best intentions on these people. Help them. Help them to come to repentance. That's the type of prayer that Jesus wants us to pray. And I think that I've come to realize that the reason Jesus can say so confidently, if you ask for anything in my name, I will do it, is because he will always operate according to his character. And so if I ask for something that is in perfect accord with his character, it will be done (laughs) because he always operates that way. But often I think that I know what God would do, but I'm really far off. You know, as as Jesus revealed on the, the Mount of Transfiguration, what he wants for us to experience in character as he's coming to the the culmination of, of challenging us to have the name of God in our lives, to have his character replicated in us. Notice what he says. So, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And Jesus could say this to us, because he lived it. This is an expression of his entire life. From, from the manger, coming to the planet of enemies, to be born, to give himself as a gift, as Emmanuel. To the cross where he's saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's seeking to reconcile us to the Father who is constantly reaching out to us in love. Seeking to, to grab a hold of our hearts, to draw us back. And he's constantly revealing a love for his enemies. And that's what he's calling for you and I to have, to practically experience this. Now, this morning we were talking in in early church, and and one of you said, I said this past week, I hate this person. (laughs) You know, in our practical day-to-day life, when somebody mistreats us, or when we feel like they are doing the wrong thing and running the world, whatever it might be, we can come down to the place where we feel like, I wish this person didn't exist or I hate this person. This person has hurt me. Do you understand who they are? Jesus gives us practical advice for, I was talking to the individual after church. He said, there's just like a toxicity that comes over your heart. You begin to feel this way about a person. You begin to to have this critical spirit towards them. How does that change? Jesus makes it really clear. Bless those who curse you. And you might think, I cannot pray blessings on this person. You don't understand the type of person they are, how evil they are, how heathen they are. There's no way I could pray a blessing on them. You know Acts 3.26? 
Uh, Peter says that, that God has blessed us by sending Jesus so that we could be turned in repentance away from our sins. Uh, you can pray for somebody to be blessed because the blessing that's going to come on them that, that God wants to see is them turning to Jesus. Turning from sin to righteousness. The, to see them repent. You can pray for, for blessings for their needs because that's what, what will, will ultimately be the best possible thing. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And here's the amazing thing. If you think about the person who's the most frustrating to you, or, or the, the person out there that's running the world in the wrong way, if you day in and day out are praying for that person, not just that, that they'll realize all the ways that they're wrong, but you're praying for their good, praying for them to be blessed, praying for them to know Jesus. When, when I pray that, I can't quickly, out of the other side of my mouth, begin to pour out all the curses that I normally do towards somebody I can't have all the same feeling. My heart begins to change. You see, the purpose of prayer is not to bring God down to us, but to bring us up to God, to have his heart. Because here's the deal. It goes on to say, but I say to you, love your enemies that you may be sons of your father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. He just keeps on giving to everybody. And then Jesus says, therefore, be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. You will be perfect just like your Father. You will reflect this character of constant giving love. And this is what salvation is all about. This is the only way that will be secure in the end times. No matter what is coming, this is the only path of salvation. There is salvation in no other but the name of Jesus. And that's why prayer is so incredibly important. Uh, Jeremiah we find that, that this is not a new idea that Jesus is bringing out. You remember when uh, they're taken as captives and the temple is ransacked and, and items are taken out of the temple. Jeremiah, in foretelling this, told them how to behave towards Babylon, this evil oppressive power that, that is later used in Bible prophecy to, to represent the end time persecuting power. This is how we should behave towards Babylon and seek the peace of the city, Babylon, where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. Pray for Nebuchadnezzar. Pray for Babylon. And that made an incredible difference. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I want to learn to ask according to the character of an incredibly loving and merciful God. Desire of Ages, page 668 says, But to pray in Christ's names means much. It means that we are to accept his character. To come to a, a recognition of what his name, his character is like. And to accept this as the principle, the operating motive of my own heart. And, and to manifest his spirit and work his works. So, in, in Acts chapter 7, we finally find that the disciples have learned to pray in the name of Jesus. And I want to just highlight one of these stories in the book of Acts because I think there's a number of them where we find people praying in the name of Jesus. But the disciples were not told how they prayed in the Gospels. But you come to Acts and suddenly you find these stories of them praying and praying and praying and praying. Because now they recognize, they've seen the cross, they know what the character of God is like. 
And so in Acts chapter 6, there's this disagreement between the Hellenists and the Jews as to whether the widows are being treated right, and there are deacons appointed. And one of these deacons is named Stephen. And Stephen is filled with the Spirit and with wisdom. So much so that as he's talking with other Greeks uh, they, who, who are Jews, they end, up, they end up having this disagreement and they get people to falsely accuse him, uh, uh, saying that he is doing away with Moses and doing away with the temple. And so they call him in for this trial. And in this trial, he's speaking to them. And as he goes through the history of Israel, starting with Abraham and going down through Moses and all these different stories, he finally stops and he looks at them because he realizes it's not sinking in. And he says, you guys are just like your fathers who murdered all the prophets. He calls them out. And then they go on to do exactly what he predicted. They haul him out of the city. And look at what happens in Acts 7, verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. They can't stand hearing about this character of God, a loving God named by the name of Jesus. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, in this time, when they're having a stoning, the person that was leading out, uh, my understanding is, was the one that they would lay the coats at the feet of. So we see here that Saul is having a a leading act in this this, uh, murder of Stephen. For, for some supposed crime. Now notice what happens. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Did you hear that prayer anywhere else? Have you heard that prayer before? On the cross, Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Here he is praying according to the name, the character of Jesus. But then he goes on to say this. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice. You imagine he's being crushed by rocks. He's getting bruised. He's bleeding. He's broken. He's being mistreated. He's being falsely accused. His rights are being taken away. And look at what he's doing. Lord, do not charge them with this sin. I need to learn to pray like that. Don't charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep and he died. His body was mistreated. He was totally, and yet so often I look at people as if they're my enemy. What we need is the heart of Jesus, the character of Jesus, to pray in his name, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. You think about the incredible difference that this prayer made later on when when Paul is on his way in Acts chapter 8. Paul is going and he's killing Christians. He's dragging them off to be persecuted. And then in Acts chapter 9, he's going to Damascus in order to kill more Christians. And then he has that incredible experience where Jesus shows up to him. And Jesus shows up to him to say, hey, I choose you. Go tell the world how forgiving I am. But notice what happens when he's blind. He's in the city and for three days he's there a message is brought to Ananias. And Ananias says, no, 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 no. I can't go to see Saul. He's a murderer. He's going to to kill me. And there's one little line that the angel tells him. It says this, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. You see, Saul is beginning to accept 
the character of God. He was a part of the Pharisees who they prayed a lot. Jesus told about them standing on the street corner praying. They, they often had long prayers. They repeated vain phrases Jesus talked about. But they weren't praying according to the character of God. To this day, we have record of, of what the prayer in, the, in even the Jewish service today, and it talks about crushing our enemies. This isn't the picture of the way that God wants for us to pray. So Paul later on is writing to his disciple Timothy. And Timothy is living under the oppressive Roman government, a government that is not respecting the rights of Christian, that before long Nero will be taking Christians and lighting them like candles to light the streets of Rome. He'll be taking Christians and he'll be throwing them into amphitheaters to be eaten by lions and tigers. And no matter what we might feel about how people are treating Christians today, the government today is not doing what Rome was doing in that day to Christians. And look at what Paul says. Look at what his heart is to his young disciple Timothy. He says, Therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for, for who? For who? For all men. Absolutely all men. And then in case Timothy might have a seed of doubt, well, yeah, that means, you know, the, the, the regular Joe next to me. He goes on to say, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So I don't know who it is for you today. Maybe it's a person down the street. Maybe it's somebody in your own family. Maybe it's the current president. Maybe it's the former president. Maybe it's Anthony Fauci. Maybe it's Peter McCullough. We have all these ideas of who's wrong and who's right and who's the problem. And the reality is they all need our prayers. They all need us to recognize that God's heart for them is that they would be saved, that they would experience salvation, that they would all come to the knowledge of the truth. At the end of 2021, Richard Houston, an officer with the Mesquite, Texas Police Department, was shot and killed in the line of of duty on December 3, while responding to a call of a disturbance in a grocery store parking lot. And I wanted you to hear, this is his 18-year-old daughter, Shelby, as she delivered a eulogy not long after he died. Just listen in as, as, as we listen to the audio. I wasn't able to get the, the video loaded for us, but just listen in to the audio of this girl as she's experiencing the loss of somebody that was heartlessly murdered, her, her father. Just listen in. I remember having conversations with my dad about him losing friends and officers in the line of duty. I have heard all the stories you can think of, but I've always had such a hard time with how the suspect is dealt with. Not that I didn't think there should be justice served, but my heart always ached for those who don't know Jesus. Their actions being a reflection of that. 
I was always told that I would feel differently if it happened to me. But as it's happened to my own father, I think I still feel the same. There has been anger, sadness, grief, and confusion. And part of me wishes I could despise the man who did this to my father. But I can't get any of any part of my heart to hate him. All that I can find is myself hoping and praying for this man to truly know Jesus. I thought this might change if the man continued to live. But when I heard the news that he was in stable condition, part of me was relieved. My prayer is that someday down the road, I'd get to spend some time with the man who shot my father. Not to scream at him. Not to yell at him. Not to scold him. Simply to tell him about Jesus. going to be a people that have his name written in their hearts. A people who can love and pray for even the murderers of their own fathers, even those who have totally mistreated them, taken away their rights. They'll pray and they'll bless them rather than to act in any other way. This is what we're called to, to love our enemies. You know, I'll tell you, as a dad, this past week when on, uh, I think it was midweek, at the breakfast table, you know, we've told you that we've been doing 25 weeks of giving, and the purpose of that is that we're hoping that our girls come to realize that, that life is all about giving. As we came to this past week at breakfast, suddenly we're sitting there at the table, and Abby says, I want to go find homeless today. So what do you think we said to a request like that? No, of course not. We don't have time for that today. I'll tell you that by the time I got home at lunch, Leah had figured out exactly how to take Abby out and spend the morning to go get water bottles to go. And they were so excited and overflowing to tell me, we found two homeless and we gave them water bottles and they were telling me the whole story about how they were able to give. It's the same way with God. If your heart is to give and to bless people, his answer is yes, my child, yes. And it may not happen in exactly the time frame and the way that you expect, but trust, his answer is yes, I will use you to bless this world. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your heart of forgiving love, a heart that pursues your enemies coming down to this planet and going to the cross and then saying, Father, I forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, would you give me the capacity to pray that prayer as I look and look and look to Jesus? Would you cause that character to be reflected in me? We're coming on more and more intense times. Father, we pray that we would have a steadfast trust in your character, that we would know your name, that we would know who you are, and that that would enable us, having known that we are loved with an infinite love, to love others no matter how they treat us. Father, lead us to pray like we've never prayed before, to pray for those that usually aren't on our list. And Father, I just want to leave a little moment of silence where you can just whisper to our hearts right now, maybe there's somebody in particular, somebody that we 
haven't wanted to pray for. Somebody that really frustrates us, that grates on us. Father, would you impress us with that name that we can, we can begin to pray earnestly for blessing in their life. Thank you, Father. You are infinitely beautiful. Thank you for how beautiful your name is. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love and truth, and a God of justice. Father, thank you for who you are. May we look and look and look at this, and as we comprehend who you are, may it empower our prayer. Thank you that this will lead us to fullness of joy. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.